Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let us worship the Lord our God. and all-merciful God, the rock on which we stand and the breath that fills our lungs. You have called us into this place today where we raise our praises as one, but with a multitude of voices. 
knowing you hear them all and love them all and cherish how different they are, while at the same time calling us to be one as we walk this life together with the goal of unity in the name of the justice and mercy and love which you have taught us. In this place, we pray to you in the name of Jesus Christ, in union with the Holy Spirit, now and forever. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord, and because it is in the name of the Lord that we have gathered in God's house, our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifiers whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, and all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, if you would be so kind as to sign the friendship pad. You may then send it down the pew and back again, and then we will have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of the service. And the last person to look at it, just rip that top sheaf off and leave it right on top of it. That'll make our ushers work just a little bit easier. I'd also like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which takes place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp there you will find that our deacons have prepared light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to gather together and to be with one another in our common life together. Speaking of our common life together, I'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin. The first is to invite you, after you've gotten your cookie and your coffee at fellowship hour, to come upstairs to the McCall Room, where I will be the second in a series on the liturgical history and also the history in general of our denomination in American Christianity and I have a particular topic to take on today, belonging in an age of disintegration. So I hope I'll get to see you up there, like I said, at around 12.30, grab your cookie and your coffee and come on up. Unless you are in your 20s or 30s, though. If you're in your 20s or 30s, you have brunch today, and we would love to get you connected with someone who can include you in that. Uh, Elaine Hanby coordinates that. She's toward the back of the sanctuary. She's waving now. So if you'd like to go to brunch, go with Meet Elaine here or in Fellowship Hall, and she will coordinate that. You'll see as well that we have a new members class to be scheduled. And so I'm asking you, if you're interested, to let me know so that I can include you in the scheduling part of that so that we'll be able to find a date that works for everyone who wants to join the church. And finally, our annual meeting date is set for March the 5th. That is a couple weeks later than usual um, at 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And please do come at 10 o'clock sharp so that we may have our quorum count and get off to the races with our business. And as we did last year, we will provide that information that is the support for that meeting to you in advance in the form of a video so that you'll be able to come with your questions, but already knowing what the, uh, what the current situation of the church is. And Andrew is holding out this very bright pink insert to me behind me to remind you that this should be a fabulous event. You've all heard Callie sing in the choir. You've, some of you have had the privilege to hear her sing in other venues, and I hope you will take part in Love is in the air. That's February 19th at 4 o'clock. And you may uh, purchase tickets at the door, but it's always helpful to us if you can um, let us know in advance. That way we have the right amount of food and wine on hand for everyone. With all of these things noted, we move now to our Minute for Mission, which comes to us today from one of our mission partners, Zia. Michael? 
Good morning. Thank you for having me here today. So I'm here on behalf of Zia, and I'm really thankful to be here and be a part of the organization. My name is Michael Coleman, and I've been with Zia for about five months now. So I got the opportunity to meet our volunteers and actually got to meet a lot of the members here today. So a um, little bit about Zia, we are a food pantry. So we uh, deliver meals on Saturday um, from about 10.15 to 12, and we have about 35 families on our list. So can you guys hear me? Sorry, just wanted to make sure. So um, the family members we get is actually from an elementary school in Center City. It's called Warrington Elementary, and we've been with the school for about, I believe, 10 years now. So we actually started that program there by our executive director, Paula Jones. Her mission was really to give the students there a really healthy meal, because she realized that walking through the school, she noticed that the lunch boxes had cold meals and didn't really have any healthy food or snacks for the children. So she really wanted to provide the children with a healthy meal to really help them get their day started off well and actually support the families there. So fast forward, um, COVID happened, and we had to, you know, mostly go to, you know, uh, delivering meals. So we stepped away from really working with the school inwards, but now we just deliver meals. So we still work with our member families at the school, but we mostly just do, uh, deliver meals on Saturday. So we have a couple of volunteers from the church, and we also have a couple of volunteers that we get from other organizations that we reach out to. So um, I'm actually out here today to really just help promote our volunteering because we actually still need delivery drivers. So if you guys are available, I'm gonna be here after church for um, our uh, cookies and, and uh, yeah. So I'll be here afterwards to, to uh, talk to you guys. If you have any more questions about Zia and what we do, I will answer them questions and I really hope to get you guys set up and um, I would love to meet you and learn more about you. So um, one last thing before I forget, we are collecting bags. So how we get our, our produce or our non uh, parables out to our member families is we use paper bags. So if you uh, see on the, the messenger, you know, it's located at the beginning of the church, you guys can actually drop your bags off. It's a little box at the front door here that you can drop them off. So if you have any more questions about that, I'll be here after church to answer any questions. And just thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. The God revealed to us in the words of scripture is a God of grace and mercy, welcoming and inviting, who directs us to love one another. So as we seek to remove the barriers that keep us from that love, we come now to confess all that separates us from one another and from God, knowing that God is guiding us in this pursuit. Let us join in our common prayer of confession. Holy God, you have called us to a way of life set aside, offered to the world as a blessing and a light. We confess we have turned aside from our calling. We have indulged ourselves to the detriment of others. We have centered on ourselves and forgotten your call to love our neighbors. 
offer life-transforming discipleship, we have looked away. Forgive us and turn us once more to you. Call us again and strengthen us in our sense of vocation, that we may follow you where you would lead us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us continue our personal confessions in silence. no limit to God's mercy. For every time we turn ourselves anew to face our Creator with deep longing to be back in right relationship, we find the face of Christ already there to meet us. So friends, believe the promise of the Gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Now may our hearts and minds be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen for the word of God, as it is written in our first lesson today by the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, reading from the beginning. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob, their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their Lord. They ask of me righteous judgments, yet they delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble myself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see them naked to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly, your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your needs in parched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. And our second lesson 
is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, reading from the beginning. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish, but we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. Here ends the second lesson. Our gospel lesson continues in the Sermon on the Mount. We read from Matthew's gospel, the fifth chapter, the 13th verse through the 20th. Continue to listen to the word of God to us this day. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to talk to you today about vocation. The word vocation derives from the Latin root vocare, which means to call. Preachers use the word calling, or some version of it, frequently, particularly when the lectionary keeps dishing up the stories of the call of the disciples, as it does at the beginning of the year so frequently. We like to use the language of calling in the church. But I don't know that we often talk about what it means to be called. If we were a Lutheran church, we'd have this all sewn up. Lutherans have a great doctrine of vocation. Martin Luther used to preach that whatever you did for your occupation, you should always do it to the glory of God. If you were a bread baker, you bake bread to the glory of God. If you were a street sweeper, you should be the best street sweeper you could possibly be to the glory of God. There is great truth to that understanding of vocation. We should do what we do for money as though we are people of faith. There is no question that the world needs Christian stockbrokers and Christian lawyers and Christian dentists and Christian sales clerks. If we're not faced from time to time with some questions about what our faith elicits from us in the course of doing our jobs, then perhaps we need to ask some hard questions about how we function in the world as Christians. But employment alone does not capture the whole of vocation and calling. When we have a service of Christian marriage, we engage in the undertaking of a 
vocation. We talk about being called to a new way of life. That's the language of vocation. When we speak of joining the church, we ask if you feel that you are being called to ministry with us in this place. Perhaps we should ask what that means. The church loves the language of calling. Perhaps some of our agnosticism regarding the language of call arises from a misperception that calling is only an otherworldly experience complete with flashing lights and imposed blindness like Paul experienced or seraphim claiming, carrying flaming coals to purify our lips as Isaiah experienced. And certainly calling can involve those things. One of my dearest friends speaks of calling in absolutely otherworldly terms. He speaks of it in a way that profoundly heightens her sense of the otherness of the experience. It wasn't my experience, but it was hers. For her, calling is something that is heavenly and ethereal. But at the same time, God's call can frequently be very quiet. Some of us experience calling very much as the still, small voice in the wilderness. And some of us, myself included, experience calling in hindsight. We look back over our lives and realize we would not be where we are but by the grace of God who has been leading us through our lives. And I suppose one of the reasons that we use the language of calling but so rarely define it is that it can be very difficult to define. What constitutes vocation may, may take different forms. The experience that results in one person's deep fulfillment and vocation might evoke from someone else nothing. Frederick Beekner, whom we will be reading together during Lent, writes famously, the place where God calls you is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's a wonderful quote, thoughtful, poetic, I love it. But is it complete? Sometimes the world's deep hunger is not met with our deep gladness. What about then? What about the experience of a calling that feels profoundly important but to something that we would rather not do? What about when the calling is hard work? And what about when the task at hand is thankless or perhaps even painful? What then? How does a calling look when the experience is not primarily gladness? Look no further than the Hebrew prophets to know that being called is not easy. Look no further than the cross to know that calling sometimes exacts a terrible price. 
Being called is also being chosen for something. It is God using God's people for service in ways that might at times surprise us or even shock us. It is God using at times people who may surprise us and even shock us. God chose Israel. And so as not to leave their identity to chance, God gave Israel the law, which laid out for them a way of life, which Jesus reiterates and amplifies in the Sermon on the Mount. At the heart of the law of which Jesus is preaching lies that old creed of Judaism, the Shema. You've heard it in many ways, I'm sure, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And then Jesus adds on, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And when God gives this commandment to God's people in the giving of the law, God adds the instructions to repeat these words to ourselves over and over and over again. Write them on your hands. Put them on sticky notes and stick them on the door frame so that as you leave, you will see these words. Make them your identity. Jesus recited that old creed many times. It was his identity. And he received it as part of his identity because it was the identity of his faith community. And some members of it took seriously the Lord's call to put these words everywhere. They took seriously the call, the vocation of teaching their way of life, their faith, to the younger members of their community and to continually learning the ways of faith themselves their whole lives long. Faith makes its way from generation to generation by the efforts of the faithful. A life of faith is a vocation. It is a holy calling. Teaching youngsters, teaching one another, growing ourselves is the answer to a calling. And unlike other vocations, such as marriage or ordination, growing in the life of faith is a vocation to which we are all called. And faith generally doesn't grow well on its own. Faith requires nurture. Faith and practice go hand in hand. We Presbyterian types don't tend to connect faith and practice as tightly as we should sometimes. It's probably an outgrowth of our operational foundational theology, sola gratia, sola fide, grace alone, faith alone. We become so careful of avoiding any type of theology that seems to associate good works as a means of grace that sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We ignore the fact that to grow in the life of faith, we must engage in Christian practices. We must do those things which God has commanded. We must live that life that Isaiah described in our Old Testament reading today. And here's the thing. God doesn't love us any more or any less because of what we do. But, and this is the important part, we love God more 
by what we do. We learn to see the world through eyes shaped by theology, through eyes shaped by our experience of the living God. We learn to see one another through eyes corrected by the lens of grace. And faith practices such as learning and reading and praying and teaching shape the sorts of Christians that we will be, and that shapes the sort of church we will be. A friend of mine tells the story about attending a catechism class. How many of you remember catechisms? Anybody memorize a catechism? We have a few. Okay, a few folks memorized the catechisms. I never had to memorize a whole catechism. I memorized portions of a catechism. Uh, I've learned the pieces through the years. Years ago, really from the 20s, right up through the 50s, maybe even into the 60s in some areas, the preferred means of transmitting faith was through the memorization of catechisms. To catechize is the Greek word for to teach. And if you look in the Presbyterian Book of Confessions, we have a number of catechisms. We have a larger catechism, a shorter catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. We've got loads of them. Catechisms follow a very particular format. Questions are asked and answers are given. My friend Tom recalled being driven up the gravel drive to the church on a Saturday afternoon, and his mother let him out and said, I'll be back after a while. He said the gravel spun out from under the wheels of the car as she sped away. He ventured into the darkened Sunday school wing of the church and made his way down the long hallway to the door on the left where waited Miss Inez. Miss Inez knew the Bible very well because she was alive for most of it. As he as he recalled the event, he walked into the room and prepared for the Inquisition. The teacher asked the question, and the student answered. That's how it worked. If I were to ask the question right now, with apologies for dated language, what is the chief and highest end of man? There are some folks in this room right now that know the answer to that. So Miss Inez asked that question, and he answered, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He took a bony finger and sorting a paper star out of a pile. She extended her lizard-like tongue, blotted the star, and stuck it in the book. Good, she said. And he recalled there was fire in her eye as if she was doing the most important work on earth, transmitting faith from generation to generation. Were I to ask, what is your only comfort in life and in death? There are people here today who know that the answer is that I belong, body and soul, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. They know that because somebody taught them. I use the language of vocation and calling today because it gets to the heart 
of what we are about in this place, to the heart of what Jesus Christ calls us to in his Sermon on the Mount. We are here to become disciples. And we are here because we know that becoming disciples isn't something that we can do casually. Being disciples of Jesus Christ is about the commitment and caring enough to do the hard work of faith and practice. We can't just say we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We actually have to be disciples of Jesus Christ. The humorist David Sedaris, in a wonderful essay, recounts the story of a man that he met on one of his rather surreal wanderings who had business cards printed up with his name followed by the letters C-O-G. It was so that he could hand people his card and when they asked what does C-O-G stand for, he would tell them, child of God. The only problem was, as we read the rest of the essay, after a while, Sedaris noted, his way of life worked completely at odds with the business cards with C-O-G printed after his name. His life made a lie out of his proclamation. The theological concept of calling, of God's calling, of vocation, demands that we take seriously the work that we say that we are about in this place. We share with one another our common faith, and we seek to grow together and to learn new disciplines and new practices so that we can share together in our practices of faith. I hope you see that cycle. We learn so we can share. We learn so we can share. We share and we learn. We do this so we can take our faith seriously enough to fulfill Jesus' call to be salt and light in the world. That's what we're called to do, to be salt and light in this world. That's why God called the Israelites to be God's people. That's why God has called this church into being 325 years ago this year, so that we may serve one another, so that we may bear witness to the faith that we have received on loan as we share it to the generations who come after ourselves. It seems like a tall task, and of course it is, but it's a task that we do not do alone. God is in this task with us. And because God is involved, faith is always more than the mere sum of our experiences. If that were not so, I'm sure that the time that I spent in the basement of Bigham Hall in Mint Hill, North Carolina, probably being exposed to heaven only knows how much asbestos was worth the effort of Miss Kathleen Campbell, who taught me the Ten Commandments when I was five years old. And neither do I suspect was it worth the effort of Pat Miller and Kathy Sackenfeld to suffer through AAM Old Testament in order in the hopes that the callow seminarians they saw before them might someday speak a word of grace to a world that needed to hear it. They knew that in the power of Jesus Christ, God's grace will be communicated from generation to generation. And because God is involved somewhere, somehow along this process, through our imperfect human efforts, formation happens as the Holy Spirit blows her way into our efforts and faith is born such as those moments when youth who have met for nothing more than fellowship find themselves sorting canned goods in the church basement and they realize that faith and practice 
go hand in hand, and there is something absolutely amazing at work when that happens. What it is is the beginning and also the fulfillment of vocation, of God's call echoing down through the ages. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Friends, we stand here together, united by the church. And we might all have our very different understandings of how we are called to follow God's will and intention for our lives, but we are united in this, that we can say together what it is that the church believes. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We are called to love as we have been loved, to give from what we have been given. We set aside this time to recognize the many ways in which we offer our lives in service to our God, with our time, with our talents, the fruit of our labors, and the fulfillment of our pledges. May it be with joyful and generous hearts that we come forward to share our offerings in the plates up front here or online, remembering that we also bring so much more than these financial gifts.
Let us pray. Loving God, you have called us to be a people of your creation. From every nation, of every race, and from every walk of life, you have given us a home in your name and shelter in the protection of your love. This earth is ours to tend in the wonders of its order and in the frustration of its chaos. We live in gratitude for so beautiful a home, the theater of your glory. Guide us as we learn to hear it as it groans in pain. Open our eyes to the ways we neglect it in the same time that we rejoice in its beauty. And when our home gives way to destruction and we are shattered by its winds and cold, leaving us broken, help us even more to bind together as your children and share what we have. Be today with the people of our nation in the aftermath of storms, with those left homeless and wondering where they will find safety and shelter and warmth again. May they feel your presence in their midst. We hold in prayer today the leaders of the world's nations political, religious, and cultural leaders. Leaders who don't even realize they are leaders or the influence they have on others. By whatever name they call you, guide them in the path of truth and light to listen to those whom they serve as they work for the health of the world and all that is in it. Teach us, too, to listen to one another, and especially to listen to those whose goals and directions seem to head in paths we can't understand. Teach us to value difference, to nurture diversity, to strive for inclusion and to commit to the work of equity and justice for all your people. Center us in truth that transcends our differences. May we embrace those whose understandings of you are other than our own. Gracious God, teach us to see those who are invisible to us, those who do not fit into our daily schedules or busy plans, those who are nothing more than annoyances to us as we walk in our direction, our vision in line. And we hold in prayer today those who suffer in silence, those who do not have someone to hold their name in prayer, 
those who are ashamed or who suffer from isolation, estrangement, depression, addiction, loneliness, those for whom fear lies at the center of all they do and all they know, fear that keeps them in unhealthy situations and patterns, fear that keeps them even from asking for help because of the fear of the unknown. Open our eyes to see them, to see those in our midst who need to know of your love through us. Help us to respond before they ask, to comfort before they voice their pain, to exude your light that they may be warmed by it. We lift in prayer those who need your care. We say their names in quiet breath. We hold them in our hearts. We know they are already known to you. But in our act of prayer, we open our hearts to the ways you live and move and have your being in our lives and theirs, holding us when our bodies and minds cannot. And all gracious God, stand with us now and always as we work for the reconciliation of the world that we might see your kingdom in our midst. Walk this road of life with us. Embolden us to transform this world with the Lord Jesus Christ as our ever-present guide, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
children of God, you are called to be salt and light. Child of God, you are called to be salt and light. So let us go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.